Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 31. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I hope you're finding some value in this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this next episode. Julia Dye, um, I got introduced to her when I introduced interviewed her husband, Dale Dye. I found out she had a book called Backbone, and um, it goes into the history, the, the traditions, and really gets to the meat of the Marine Corps NCO, or the Non-Commissioned Officer Corps. And um, it's near and dear to my heart. It means a lot because it's a lot of what my leadership philosophy is based upon. So it's a really fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. In fact, it was uh, 35, 40 minutes is too short. I could have talked to her for another two hours. So I hope you enjoy it and appreciate it. Uh, it really gets to the heart of my leadership philosophy. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. If you need to catch up on your books, uh, Audible.com is your solution. You can download hundreds of thousands of titles, almost every book you can think of, and get it to your iPhone, your iPod, you can catch up on all your reading. I know I use it a lot. You've heard me say that it's helped me get caught up in all my reading because of uh, this prep, and, and I like to read anyway, but uh, I'm reading even more now with all these interviews, and it's hard to catch up, but uh, audible.com is a solution. they got a special offer just for you out there. You can go to doseofleadership.com slash audible and download your free audiobook, any audiobook that you uh, want, uh, any title that they have. So again, go to doseofleadership.com slash audible and get started with your free audiobook download. Anyway, thanks for all your support. Get some great feedback and enjoy the interview. Well, I'm so pleased to have on my show Julia Dye. She keeps the entertainment industry honest through technical advising and performer training, and she helps Hollywood directors capture the realities of warfare. She's a partner in the consulting firm Warriors Incorporated, and she provided weapons training to types like Colin Farrell for the film Alexander, and with the military advisor team, she oversaw historical accuracy for the HBO series The Pacific, one of my favorite HBO miniseries. And she Dye earned her doctorate in hopology, I'd like to learn a little bit more about that, from the Union Institute and University. She's a frequent consultant for the History Channel, Military Channel, and Discovery Channel, and is the former executive director of the Society of American Fight Directors and helped create the Los Angeles Fight Academy. She's got a book out there called Backbone, in which I'm really excited to talk about. It's about the history, traditions, and leadership lessons of Marine Corps NCOs. In that book, she takes a deep look at what makes Marine Corps NCOs such effective leaders and how we can learn more from them. A topic that's near and dear to my heart as a former Marine myself. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, tell me a little bit how you got started about writing about the book. Of course, I'm passionate. I, I love talking about the Marine Corps. My leadership presentations, I reference the Marine Corps all the time. And there isn't a day that it goes by that I don't think back to my Marine Corps career and all those lessons I learned from those great staff NCOs, those NCOs that actually helped me become a better officer? Well, I have worked in a variety of fields. I have, in the course of my life, been a professional fundraiser. I uh, was involved in sports production for the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, uh, in figure skating and short track speed skating. I've worked in the nonprofit sector, the for-profit sector. One thing that was consistent 
and remains true here in Hollywood, is I think we have a strong lack of small unit leadership. Mm. And that is something that the Marine Corps excels at. And we have top-level leaders, and there have been books written about officer training and how to uh, uh, apply it to CEOs and other high-level administrators. I'm not as concerned with that. Those guys and gals are doing fine. Right. I'm concerned with small unit leadership. Why can't we have assistant managers who can do what Marine Corps corporals and sergeants can do? Yeah, because the, the real effective leadership and what you're saying in this book, and, and I wholeheartedly agree, the real leadership really does happen from the middle and below. That's where all the action takes place. That's where all the engine of getting things done, the tactical execution takes place from the middle and below. And that's Absolutely. What- so you have officers who are setting policy, but it's the NCOs who are enacting that policy and making judgments in crisis situations. And all of us need to do that, whether it's with your kids or your church group or your book club or your job or wherever you are, there's going to be a time when you will be called on to be a small unit leader. And yet we're not, we're not teaching ourselves how to become successful at that goal. Yeah, one thing I found, and I've been in, I've worked with all the services, obviously, I had 10 years in the Marine Corps, I was 10 years in the Air National Guard, so I, I, and I did a joint tour with the Air Force as a Marine, so I've got to see, you know, wide breadth of experience, and one thing the Marine Corps, and I am biased towards them, obviously, because I, I am one, mm-hmm. but one thing that they really do effectively well is they push the leadership level down to the absolute lowest level. And they have a philosophy that they, they just drum in you day after day after day is that everybody has to think and act like a leader. Even – and like, as, you, as you pointed out so well, it's all about small unit leadership. Uh-huh. And so even if that youngest fresh boot camp recruit who's just finally in the fleet, he's got to learn how to lead himself. But then pretty soon he's going to be in charge of a fire team you know, and he's in charge right. of two or three folks. So – you, you you wrote the book based on the 14 Marine Corps leadership principles, mm-hmm. and you tried to f- uh, capture some of the characters in, in the Marine Corps that we all know so dear and well. Who are some of your favorite what, – first of all, what are some of your favorite characteristics of the, or those leadership traits in the book, and who are some of your favorite characters in the book that you, that you highlighted in there? Um, well, each has its own merits, so it's a little difficult, but I'll try to narrow it down. Yeah, it's like, it's like I your own start kids, right? with the – I did start with the 14 leadership traits because they're a great example about uh, how to approach small unit leadership. There are other qualities that are helpful, like organization, but they aren't necessary to be a great leader. You can, if you're a great leader, you could identify somebody with that skill and use them effectively, even if you're not a great organizer. So so it, it helps to get to the core of, so to speak, what uh, leadership attributes are really going to help you the most. But again, with those 14, it's still kind of broad. So I divided that into three sections beyond that, into body, mind, and spirit. Because some of the attributes are more physical in nature, some are more intellectual, and some are more character, almost spiritual driven. Right. So so to continue to focus down onto what those elements are and how they apply to your life. Uh, what they mean to you. You may not need to be like John Bassalone and carry a hot-barreled machine gun on your forearms, giving yourself burns as you run to put it in a new emplacement. You may never be called upon to do that in your life. 
But endurance means more than the ability to do that. It also means the ability to go the long distance, to be able to stay, uh, stay the course. Some of my favorites, I, there's some who are modern day and some who are historical. I look at both in the book. Uh, almost everybody, I mean, it, when, it, when I get involved in their stories, I, I fall in love with all of them. John yeah. Bathwan is just amazing. Sure. Uh, Dan Daly is delightful. Um, Louis Kukelka is just a remarkable man. Uh, and men and women who have come from all over the world. Uh, how many have come from foreign countries? Uh, how many are not even citizens yet? You know what I... Uh, it's it's fascinating, and the, what those paths are. You know, the Marine Corps is so young. There's certain things that make the Marine Corps unique. Uh, among them, they're the only branch of the service that is not going to recruit you by telling you what you're going to get out of it. That's right. They're not going to say, here's your college education, and we're going to give you this training so that you have this great future job. They're not. They're saying, if you're good enough, maybe you can be one of us. You know, it's funny but your that, job is to fight. It's funny that you say that. When I, when I was in transition from uh, the basic school, and I came up back home to get married, <clears throat> and I had about 30 days off before I reported um, to my next duty station. Mm-hmm. And I worked. With, I, had, I did temporary duty with a recruiter just to help out you know, locally. And so I didn't do much, you know, just kind of admin helping those, the, the folks out there. But, you know, I got to know the recruiters there and watching when the young men and women would come in, that was their attitude. They would say, well, you know, if you're good enough, maybe you, you could join us. Whereas the other services, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not bashing them at all, but the other ones, they were more like, hey, you can come in, you can get your education, this and that. The recruiters I was hanging around with, they didn't do any of that. Right. It was almost like they were it kind of. Isn't, it's not about judging the other branches. It's just showing how effective it is when everybody's on mission. Yeah, you're going. You are going to be part of something bigger. You're already being told you're part of a team. Yeah, you're going to be in these small units. It's this. It's a, an approach. It's also if you see a marine in uniform, you don't necessarily know what their job is. By yeah, just looking at them. There's right. not these patches and things that that's are right. indicating your job. You are a, a, a Marine, whether you're a computer programmer or, uh, you know, fixing Amtrak's. Your job is to be a Marine. One of my favorite stories, uh, maybe somewhat apocryphal, but was from a friend of mine who was at a very fancy Marine officer party, and there was a man in a very fancy uh, dress uniform, and she said, you know, wow, what do you do in the Marine Corps? And he said, I'm a rifleman. <laughs> and paused, and he said, I also have collateral duty as the commandant. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is, to me, such a wonderful look at that culture. Yeah. Of everybody is a rifleman first. Yeah. yeah you know, I forgot about that, you know, because uh, I was in the Air Guard for 10 years. But yeah, wearing the, the flight suits, everything, it was all minimal, right? No patches, no squad. It was just very minimal. Mm-hmm. Just name tags okay. and, and, of course, your squadron patch, and that was it. Sure, and you know there are some uh, obviously uh, indications of, of rank and so forth. But sure, much much different than the other branches. And also, if you look again, looking, and we talked about hoplology, and that's a combination of military history and anthropology. Mm. So I tend to look at things as cultures. Uh, if you look at different branches of the service, think about who their heroes are. So in the army, it's Patton, or in the Navy, it might be Nimitz, or um, 
they tend to be generals and officers. That's in right. the Marine Corps, it's going to be Lou Diamond. That's it's going right. to be Alone. Mm-hmm. You'd go on Camp Pendleton, you're on Alone Road. You know, the people who are revered and remembered have a much greater tendency to be NCOs. That's funny you bring that up too, because I was just having this conversation last week. I was talking with some, we were talking about the Marine Corps and the leadership and the differences. And I said, think back. I said, we were talking about World War II. And I, and, mm-hmm. um, I said, can you name any famous Marine Corps um, high ranking officer in any? And, and they couldn't name right. one, not one. And they weren't associated with the Marine Corps, right? So they, I said, well, what about the Army? You know, and of course, they're naming off Eisenhower and Patton, sure. Montgomery from the British side. And I said, why do you think that is? And he's like, well, I never really thought about it. And he's right. It's because the heroes, it's, especially in the officer corps, it was the, you were a horrible officer if you thought it's never about you. It's always, right. always, always about that 18-year-old trigger puller on the front line. Right. And that's when... So, so and also, because the corps is, is relatively small, that is, is definitely helpful, is able to have a more cohesive culture than uh, a very large organization, it's also extremely young. It's the youngest of the service. Uh, about a quarter of active duty Marines today are not old enough to legally drink. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So these, these are kids, and when you think about what they're being asked to do, a million dollars worth of equipment and eight lives, and they're going to make decisions, and they're going to do things that are going to jeopardize that stuff, and they're trusted to do that. Yeah. Now, do you trust your 18-year-old with your car? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we don't train this in the civilian world our kids to be able to do that and we don't trust them to be able to do it yeah i always have thought that that idea of of pushing everything down to the lowest level the decentralized decision making Mm -hmm. and and i always push this in my speeches to organizations and even when i was in leadership roles in in civilian corporate is like push that decision making level down to the absolute lowest level Mm -hmm. and then my job as the officer as a leader is i better be willing and ready and able to support those decisions, good and bad. Yeah, even when they make a mistake, because yeah. that's how you learn. And you can't have a zero defect mentality. Absolutely. And yeah. that's why things like the 70% solution and all that stuff is so genius of saying, here's, here's the process, here's how you make a decision, here's how you alter your decision as new information comes in. But you're decisive and you don't wait until you have the perfect answer. That's right. I mean, you're speaking, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, that would, I love what you're saying because that's exactly what I've been, you know, and people probably work, that work with me, they probably get tired of me hearing that same thing, but it's so true. And why, and why is it so effective in business? Well, think about what the mission of the Marine Corps is. It's a dirty, dangerous, chaotic business. And the only way that you're going to survive in that chaos, the only way you're going to be effective is you're comfortable with that chaos. And if you're going to operate and be comfortable with that chaos, you have to push decision-making down to the absolute lowest level because you don't have the time or the luxury to ask for permission. And that's why it's so effective, and that's why it can be effective in, in business as well because business Absolutely. is chaotic. Business I mean, chaotic. you may think – I mean, the consequences may not be as dire. Sure. But the same process is happening – and how many times have you called a customer service number and have somebody know all the words to say on the script, how may I provide you with excellent customer service mm-hmm. today, but have no ability to actually do anything to help you? Right. They're not given the authority to make any kind of decision that will assist you. And it has to go up the chain, and I need approval for that, and let me talk to my manager. Well, why isn't that person on the front line exactly. who's dealing with customers empowered to know the commander's intent yep. 
and make a decision accordingly. They may, they pro- first of all, they probably don't know the commander's intent, and everyone needs to know that. Yep. What is the mission? What is the goal of this corporation? Where are we going? That's how, there's a number of these attributes that I define a little different than uh, traditionally defined. For example, bearing um, is one thing mm-hmm. that I talk about, and I think of it more like a pilot would think of a bearing, mm-hmm. that it's direction. To have bearing means you have a goal and you know where you're going. Mm. And when you have that in mind, when you have a vision of your path, you automatically bring to your leadership traits that presence. Yeah, I like that. Right? So that gives you that physical bearing. Mm-hmm. We think of it as being you know, a recruiter standing in blues and right. a DI with a smoky bear, that, that image of uh, military bearing. But it's really about having that focus and understanding of the direction you're heading that provides that for you. you know, I never and you can have that even if you don't have a perfectly erect spine. Yeah, no, I never looked at it that way, but that is, that's absolutely brilliant. I think that you're, you're absolutely right because if it's all about – if you know what the purpose and the direction and where you're going is and you, and you know that you're part of something – yeah, yeah, I like that because that feeds into the intent, and like you said, that automatically feeds and, and drives that confidence, that bearing that you, that you're trying to to portray. That is so essential to to good leadership. No, I Correct, like that. But I think a lot of civilians don't think it applies to civilian leadership. They think of bearing, and they think of it as being such a military attribute that that couldn't possibly apply, and it does. And I think by looking at it that way, you can see how that applies to all of our lives and Absolutely. our decision making process, and how that's the person you want. To follow, we're drawn to people like that. I want to be on that guy's team. I want to be on. I want to follow her. She knows where we're going. Yeah. You know, we get there's you know the long debate between management and leadership, and I believe firmly that you manage resources and you lead people. Absolutely. Right? If you're, let's say you're lost in the woods, and you don't know where you're going. And you have two things could happen. Well, first time one person comes by and says, oh, I feel so bad for you because you're lost, and that's so scary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Let me give you a hug. <laughs> Somebody else comes in and says, I know where town is, follow me, and walks off. Who would you rather have show up like that? Exactly. That's right? awesome. Yeah. You want to follow, you're going to be much more excited to see and follow the person who knows where they're going. If I'm in a plane, I don't particularly like fly. If there's lots of turbulence and things are shaking all over, mm-hmm. I don't want the pilot sitting next to me and saying, I'm so sorry, you're scared. <laughs> I really empathize with you. I want him to fly the plane. That's right. I want to have confidence that whatever will happen, that plane's going to land on the ground. I had a flight attendant once with a very bad turbulent flight at, who said the exact right thing to me. I usually tell the flight attendants that I'm a nervous flyer, and I'm, if there's one tiny little bump, I'm probably going to ask if anything's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was clearly beyond normal turbulence. And she just turned to me and she said, this is not normal. This is unusual to turbulence, but I promise you that we know what we're doing and we will get you home safe. Awesome. And, it was, and I was fine. I calmed right down. I was I was okay because that's what I needed to hear at that moment. That was fabulous leadership. Yeah, you know, and I talk about this in my leadership presentations. The last thing I talk about, the last kind of topic is what I call wind your watch. And it was a a technique that we learned in flying. And um, Mm -hmm. they asked me, I remember I was was in the middle of my training and I was learning how to fly multi-engine aircraft and they 
first day, my first flight, my instructor said, what do you do for this emergency? And I rattled off the, the memory items and he said, nope, you're wrong. And I'm like, what did I miss? And he said, the first thing I want you to do is to hack the clock. And what he meant by that, he says, you have to learn, especially as a pilot, you have to learn how to compartmentalize and slow things down. Because it's your, nat- your natural tendency to react, your natural tendency to show emotion. You know, when in, he says, he told me, he said, the first time you get a firelight, it's going to be in the middle of the night and it's going to get your attention. And if you rattle off and, and react just as fast as I spouted off those memory items, you're going to shut down the wrong engine. And so the idea is to learn how to compartmentalize. And that's that part of that bearing and that, that confidence you see. Just like take Sully Sullenberger, right? What, is everybody, what did everybody say when he uh-huh. landed in the Hudson? What were they saying about him? Oh, he's cool as ice. And you listen to the, the, the ATC tapes and, man, he just was calm and cool and collected. Uh-huh. What was he feeling inside, though? He was a, oh, he, I'm sure he was panicked. Yeah, his, his quote, and he's done 60 Minutes, and I, mm-hmm. I, I love this. He says, it was the absolute most frightening, pit of the stomach, mm-hmm. bottom falling through the floor feeling I've ever had in my life. So he was petrified. Yep. So I think that's important to distinct that you look at these people, you look at like John Bassalone, and you think about, oh my gosh, how did he fend off the Japanese for three days, killing 7,000, you know, car- you know, carrying the, like you said, the hot barrel with his arms, and no food, no sleep, little water. Had malaria. <laughs> yeah, had malaria. Insane, right. <laughs> And this is a kid with no college, no high school diploma. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not as, as superior intellect. Or, yeah. And I think you say, you're like, well, I could never be like that because I couldn't have that courage. Well, look, he was, John Bassel was just as afraid as Sully Solenberger yeah. as anybody else. And it doesn't have to be life and death situations like that. It can be your boss screaming at you or a customer screaming at you. Right. You have to learn how to compartmentalize and sh- you know, compress those emotions and have that bearing. And that's what I really – one of the biggest things the Marine Corps taught me to do, and I think the staff NCOs, and really, you know, I think back, and I'm going back to your book, I think about all those lessons, and I didn't even see it at the time. It's, it's, it's not until years later that I got out, and seeing how that NCO pulled me aside and closed the door and talked to me in private, you know, mm-hmm. and, and said, hey, sir, maybe you ought to do this. You know, hey, sir, maybe it's good if you did this. Mm-hmm. That's what, I mean, I never saw that in any of the other um I didn't see so much in the Air Force. And again, I had a good time in the Air Force, but I, just, I didn't see that kind of level or that love of that NCO taking care of the officer and also taking care of um, the young guns below him. And that's one of the things that I did talk about in the book a little bit is uh, the idea that the Marine Corps has that as a small unit leader, you're not just leading down, you're leading up. Yeah. Um, and we lose sight of that. That's part of all of our jobs is to guide those above us as well. Do you think there is a um, – I, I think there is. I've, I've asked some other guests on the show if, if they think there is a leadership crisis in business, and maybe I'm naive, but I mean – and I've only worked at four other corporations since I've been out of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. But it's been consistent in those four, that, that, that kind of common sense lack of trust, the lack of pushing the decision level down to the lowest level. Maybe it does exist in Fortune 500 companies, and I haven't been exposed to, to that many of them. But what do you think, and what do you see out there in, in Hollywood? I hesitate to use terms like crisis. We have become uh, a culture that really loves to have everything be mm. desperate. Good point. Um, and I don't think we have a leadership crisis. I think we have a lot of excellent, quiet leadership going on every day. Yeah. I think there are amazing entrepreneurs who are building new companies in a horrible economy. I think there are church leaders of all denominations who are doing amazing things. I think they're out there. I think there are teachers who are extraordinary. We hear about all the bad ones and all the failures. 
I think what we need to do is to respect and honor and learn from the ones who are there now yeah. that we're not paying attention to. I don't think we have a leadership crisis. I think we're ignoring leadership. Yeah. We're not paying attention to it. Why is it that we that the Marine Corps is honoring these unit leaders and we make fun of the assistant manager at Walmart? That's your job? What a loser. What a loser. He's out there. She's out there on the front lines with the customers every day. Yeah. Why aren't we supporting and rewarding and honoring that? Instead of saying you'd be better off sitting at home and watching reality TV so you can see somebody else screw up their life. What are we paying attention to? There's just as many excellent leaders in this country as there ever was. But we're not looking at them. Yeah, so you're right. It's not so much of a crisis of leadership. It's more of a crisis of, of the culture not paying attention to the right things. Correct. Uh, why is it that you know, do you know, for example, who's doing cutting-edge cancer research right now? Probably not. I don't. But you know, who, you know who Marla Maples is? Right. What if she contributed to our national society and culture? Why are we rewarding the trivial and not looking at the extraordinary that's happening all around us? Yes. Why do you get a, a national coverage if you put your baby in a balloon? <laughs> uh, you know, and people will, if we reward that, if we say uh, this is the most important thing you can be is famous, people will pay attention to you. That's what we all want now. Right. Um, and the way to get famous is to do something, you know, ridiculous. You're going to get people doing ridiculous things. Right. We aren't, you know, so what do we reward? And that's what I think we need to examine. I mean, it used to be we would slow down to look at a car accident. Now we want to be the car accident so other people slow down and look at us. Wow. Right? So that's what I'd like to see changed. It's focus of what are we rewarding? What are we looking for? What do we want our kids to be? What do we want to achieve? So what? So just because they're not famous or in the news, that isn't the most important thing. The leaders are there. Absolutely. Let's find them. Let's pay attention to them. Let's learn from them. Well, I guess that's part of, you know, if, if people ask me, well, why are you doing this podcast? In a nutshell, that's really one of the reasons what I want to try to accomplish is let's let's highlight those. Let's highlight those leaders that are, you know, making things happen and you don't even see them. You don't even hear about them, right? Right. Exactly. So what do we I do? Mean, that's one reason in this book that I wanted to uh, have both represented, both the, uh, the iconic Marine NCOs, um, as well as, you know, people today who are off doing a job that nobody would ever hear of, that aren't those Dan Dailies. Who, by the way, is my example in the chapter on tact, another one that may not I may not use the way you think it should be used. Well, talk to me about that. How do how do you um we, we, you you talk about tact and tell me about your example and and how you see it differently? Well, Dan Daly was well known for his uh, colorful language, right? And uh, of course, you know, Ed Bella Wood had a very famous "Come on, you son of a son of a bitches, you want to live forever," right. which was recorded and by the Chicago Tribune and got quite a lot of play. So using him for tact was was fun, but it was also to illuminate that tact is not the same as political correctness. That we have taken the term tact and pushed it so far that it's almost become censorship. Yeah. That you are afraid to say your opinion, that people are nervous about being truthful in what they say. 
that you will be judged by your opinions and saying what you feel. And tact, I'm arguing on the other hand, uh, is not, does not come from fear. Worrying about whether what you say is politically correct or not, you are afraid that Mm -hmm. you will say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And fear is not a place where leadership can thrive. Correct. So tact is understanding and empathizing enough with your audience to say what is required to get them to do what you need them to do as a leader, even if it is not in their best self-interest, mm-hmm. which is what leaders have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it's good for the group. It may not be great for you, but we, we, the group needs this done, so you have to do it, is what leadership is about. So, like, <laughs> let's go charge the enemy. Well, <laughs> that's not something everybody wants to do. So tact means understanding your audience well enough to know what to say at the, and know when to say it at the moment to get the behavior you require. And Dan Daly was genius at that, and what he said was exactly what those t- kids needed to hear at that moment. Right. That's tact. No, that's that's brilliant. I like that. And, you know, it's almost like having the attitude of, of like, having to like, get comfortable with the brutal facts and the brutal truth, the brutal truth. And um, if you are comfortable about and you're right, finding the right way to get the brutal truth across. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, hey, we got to go attack the enemy. That's right. There are ways to say it, but it is a brutal truth. And don't hide from that truth. Right. Em- embrace it. And even though you may, it may not be what you want to hear, you'll be so surprised. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. And you're like, well, we can't. It's, it's not as good as news as we thought it was going to be. And so they skirt around it and they don't. Right. Attack the brutal truth for what it is. And the next thing you know, you make it ten times worse. Because, That's right. You know, so yeah. And if you have a, a group of people and everyone knows what the problem is and knows about it, including the person leading that group, that group's going to lose confidence. Yeah. Because they're not dumb. They know what's going on. Absolutely. You know, and you're either saying, well, I think you're stupid because you don't see this, or I'm too, I don't have the courage to face it. Yes. Courage is definitely a leadership trait. Yeah. Now, there's a place for political correctness. I'm not saying it's all bad, and we should be aware if we're going to be offensive, but that's also about knowing your audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems with stifling speech is that we actually then don't know how people feel or think. And just because they're not using the words doesn't mean they're not thinking that way. Right. And wouldn't you want to know how somebody really feels? Yes. Uh, then to think they're, they might be a, a big hypocrite. <laughs> but you right. don't know because they're afraid to tell you how they really feel. Yeah. And we all, we all change our speech. You talk to your mother differently than you talk to your fellow Marines, don't you? Mm-hmm. you we, have, we, we use different words. We use different speech patterns for different groups than when we desire different outcomes. So it's something we're all doing anyway. But you can't be tactful. You can't be appropriate to your audience unless you know them. Right. And so that is how one of the keys to my unit leadership is to know your people. I love that. And one thing I've, I forgot about, I'm even embarrassed to admit, is that I forgot Terry Anderson was a former Marine. I, did, yes. I completely forgot about that. And he was, how many days was he? And it, it was an interesting story because he, he wasn't Marine during the, right. his life crisis, right. what he's known for. But it was still that training that allowed him to, to survive. How long was he a hostage? Seven years. Seven years. Mm. 
Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Um, and to be able to survive. And there have been Marines and other servicemen who have been uh, captives, whether it's as a POW or as a hostage or other, other situations, that have managed to survive and to complete the mission because of their NCO training. Um, it was found in World War II that the Marines who were taking POWs had a much higher survival rate uh, than other branches of the service. And some of that, I talk about that in the chapter on unselfishness, mm-hmm. because what happens when becoming a captive is without appropriate training, it is natural for people to, be, to become selfish, to think about their own needs, because you're in a survival situation. Right. How am I going to make this to make it out of here? But the Marine training allowed them to overcome that instinct and take care of each other. That the chain of command didn't break down, that they looked out for each other, that they were caring for each other, sharing food even when it put themselves at risk. Yeah. Um, and allowed Marines to more successfully survive these horrible situations and continue on missions. And Terry's a great example of that. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I don't even, to be quite honest, I was thinking back, I don't even remember that he was a former Marine Sergeant, but that's it. That's awesome. Now, and knowing that, it kind of puts that story in a whole different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a wonderful man, too. You know, one thing that, in talking, I've talked to a handful of Marines that have been in, in you know, just situations that, it just you know, they just amaze me. I'm like, wow, you know, and they're 17, 18 mm-hmm. years old when they did all oh, these things. And I just, it just, I just can't. It's I'm, so humbling. I yeah, mean, the very interviews humbling. that I did, I was like, how am I even, uh, how is it that I even have the privilege of writing their story? I know, right? I mean, I don't feel worthy. Exactly. Some of the time. You know, and I was thinking about what I was doing when I was 17 and 18. I was trying to buy beer with a fake ID, you know, and here these, right. you know, and here's this, and they're, gosh, dang. And I, I just, I don't know. It is, it's humbling. But I remember one of the things that, that always struck out, and and I t- talked about this with, with Dale, too, is, is, and it was about a year ago, and um, he's an Iwo Jima vet Marine, and I asked him, you know, how do, how do all these, these experiences um, define you and he stopped and he said it, it didn't it it, re- it refined me and he said and he, mm-hmm. and he told me what he really realized what it meant to love another human being and I'm, and I just did not expect that answer and yeah. and then, and I've looked and I've searched and I've read and that is kind of a prevalent theme from some of those guys mm-hmm. is that they they really learned how to love another human being in, in the midst of all that you know nastiness That's right they learned how to love and it's unfortunate. Well, it is such a it is such a crucible for emotions. Yeah, it's why there'll always be war movies, because it's it is a situation that distills human nature. That each it is the most intense love. It is the most intense courage. It's the most intense hatred. That things are distilled to their core of what they are, which makes for excellent drama. But it also, like you say, it it doesn't it isn't something that builds character, but it does evoke character. It brings yeah. out who you are on the inside. And the Marine Corps has a face that what that is, is good. Mm -hmm. At heart, these kids are good kids. Yeah. And I don't think we have that faith everywhere. I don't think so either. How different do you think it is, and looking from the history, how different do you think a World War II Marine is compared to, the say, the Generation Y Marine today? What do you think the major differences are? Between today's NCOs and World War II NCOs? Yeah. I don't think there's much of anything. I didn't think there was I either. I think 
I, and that's why I look throughout from the founding of our country till now, and uh, the technology changes. Mm-hmm. What you're humping changes. Mm-hmm. The core of leadership, it does not change. Mm-hmm. It is the same today as it was in Alexander the Great's time. Yep. Leadership remains the same. It is a constant. Uh, it, you know, and it, it's a constant. If you're sitting in a bunker flying drones, mm-hmm. and you're way away from the battlefield, you're still called on to be a leader, and you, the same attributes will still apply. And I think it's important to note that those are those principles. They are they are timeless. They just exist. They're there for all of us to That's discover. Right. They're there for everybody. That's yeah. right. And we can all learn how to best emulate them. There's, yeah. there's there are things that we can all take home from these, and that's that's what it, you know. And there's there's some things that are so small, uh, like the chapter on justice was very interesting to me and uh, very emotional for me. But why is justice a leadership trait and fairness is not? Mm. We talk a lot about fairness that's now. That's right. Right, redistribution, and everybody should have a fair amount of the same things because they're equally good people. Well, why would that not be a leadership trait when justice is? Mm-hmm. And I have spent a lot of time thinking about that. But let's say you're having a birthday party for your, for your daughter, and there's a cake. What would be fair to divide the cake into even pieces for everybody attending? Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay, but one of the kids has diabetes. Is it fair? One of the kids is 16 and the other is 3. Do they get the same size? Mm-hmm. One of the kids is, is morbidly obese and the other is quite thin. Should they get the same piece? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, is it fair that they all got exactly the same size? It, fairness is not always the best measure. Mm-hmm. If you're driving down the street and the, a policeman stopped every single car that drove on the street corner and gave them a $50 ticket... It would be fair. That's right. Because everyone got exactly the same ticket. Is it just? No. No, because it has nothing to do with the response to behavior. So fairness is not of the best measure. There's a place for it. This is like I say with organization and other attributes. There's a place for it that will, that's useful, but it's not a leadership trait. Well, justice is because it's far more difficult to make a just decision than to make a fair one. Mm. And it calls on your judgment, and it calls on, again, your knowledge of your people and your understanding of them. If you don't know anything about the people in your group, you might just give everybody the same amount of pay, and it would be fair. But would it be just when one person is working twice as hard as someone else? But you don't know that because you're not spending any time there. You're not getting to know your people. I love that. It just sounds so common sense. You're not. It's great. I mean, that you're bringing it in those those examples and those light. Why why did it why was it so emotional for you to write about that chapter? Mostly because the the NCO that I feature there, uh, Aubrey McDade, McDade mm-hmm. was just it just really uh, touched me talking with him um, about justice, and he talked about justice when he had been training Marines. He talked about justice in uh, in garrison when people go off for. Uh, a little leave and how they come back and what happens in the barracks. And then he talked about justice and combat. And he has uh, was awarded the Navy Cross for his actions in the Battle of Fallujah um, and has seen some serious stuff. Right. And it just was very profound. Uh, I remember finishing the interview and I couldn't 
speak for like a half an hour. Wow. I was just so moved by what he said. And his background, he shouldn't be successful. We should have thrown him away. He grew up in Fort Worth. His uh, dad had been shot by the police when he was a kid. He was the first person in his family to graduate high school. He worked. He was this inner city bad kid that we toss out the window. Mm. But by one decision, by one turn of events, and he becomes a Marine. And look at what he did. And look at this Marines he's trained. And look at the Marines he's led in combat. And all of the lives he's touched. And all the things he's done for us sitting back here safely. And how many how many of us paying attention to those kids? Much yeah. less think they have a future. Not enough. Um, and he had it in him all the time. And it's not if a kid like him that was if he had made a different decision and failed, would it have been his fault or would it have been our fault because we throw those kids away? You know that's so so true that there are so many hidden talents in so many of us and um that's what's so great about you and i thank you for finding these stories and finding these people and and um bringing them to light thank you it was a it was an honor and remains one i mean they're the heroes and they're the stars for sure but again they're not all that exceptional there isn't some had education some had none some didn't drink at all, and some drank like fish. Some were very physical and liked to box and do physical activities. You know, Lou Diamond loved animals and had chickens at Camp Leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, they are all very different individuals, and it's not that you could identify this person's a natural-born leader. Mm-mm. They weren't. They were just kids. They were just people. You know, they always spend time in the brig. There weren't things about them that made them shine, but with the proper training and the ability to, the opportunity to leave, given the chance and letting them do their job, everybody in this book shown. Yeah. And we can, we can do it. Yep. All of us. Yep. You know, it got me thinking, we used to, I need to find this book and I cannot for the life of me, and I've looked at this on the internet and I can't find this story, but there's a we used to, at the basic school, before each class, they would read us a, a Medal of Honor citation. Mm. And uh, I remember there's one that stuck out, and I can't for the life of me remember the kid's name. You know, it was in mm. Vietnam, and he was a cook. Okay. And, you know, very quiet, unassuming, he was a cook. Yep. And when, you know, it, the excrement hit the fan, mm-hmm. and everything was going to hell in a handbasket, the cook... You know, fended off. You know, had his had his leg blown off, tied it with a tourniquet, put the the stump in the dirt, and manned that machine gun while everybody else got evacuated. There you go. And then you know, and they come and they find him. You know, and they they do three or four extractions. You know, on the on the Hueys and getting everybody out. And he stayed back, the cook, with the bloody yeah. stump in the, in the in the dirt. And then they come from, the last time they come back and he then he slumped over, a melted you know machine gun barrel. You know, with all those dead around him, you know, he didn't make it, obviously, but those type of stories are just, they just blow me away, you know, and no one would have thought that would have been the guy that would have, yep. that had it in him, you know, and so that's what you're talking right. about. I don't know. I love this stuff. I know. I, I certainly can. 
So where, where, we talk about a lot. Yeah. Me too. So where where can they the the book is a uh, uh, backbone. It's on uh, Amazon. It's called Backbone: History, Traditions, and Leadership Lessons of the Marine Corps NCOs. Um, it's going to be available on iTunes and a Kindle version on the 2nd of April. Which That's correct. That's through our partnership with Open Road Media, um, and that would be a great version. You can also uh, if find it to order either way through our website at warriorspublishing.com. Warriors Pub- and I'll put a link when I post this on my website. I'll have right. links to all these. Um, it's a great book. It's been a great honor having you on the show. It's been fun talking to you. I could talk to you for another two hours about this stuff. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's really been a delight, and I appreciate you having this uh, information out there for your viewers yep. and listeners. And uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Take care. Thanks, Julie. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.